Blog Talk Radio. Friday, everybody. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host, Michael Cutler. It is Friday, obviously, and it is January the 18th, 2019, and the clock keeps on ticking and the calendar keeps moving. And here we are on the Friday before what may be a a bad weather weekend here in New York City, but it's certainly a pleasure to join you. I hope wherever you are that you're warm and dry and um, having a great day. Uh, Great days, unfortunately, sometimes uh, seem all that more difficult to come by. So when things go well, I always like to remind people that good days are gifts, and we should never take those good days for granted. And I hope that you're all having a really terrific day today and a great weekend coming up. I thank you for joining me. Uh, Those of you familiar with my program, familiar with me, know that I am kind of a man on a mission trying to wake up as many of our fellow Americans and as many of our alleged political leaders, and boy, do I use that term loosely and advisedly, about the true significance of America's borders and America's immigration laws, because uh, we have reached the twilight zone. I'm convinced Rod Serling has written the script. I know he's hiding here someplace, puffing on a cigarette. Um, But all, all kidding aside, we've got a very serious problem, and the problem is that our politicians have forgotten, as Mark Twain once observed, um, who they were elected to serve, why they went to Washington, uh, you know, with what, with, after they were elected, with what purpose, and, and who sent them, I think was how Mark Twain described the politicians and what was wrong with them. Our immigration laws are critical. They have nothing to do with race, nothing to do with religion. We keep hearing the nonsense about Latinos. and Yes, the Mexican border is a big issue. And we're going to talk about the Mexican border. You can't not talk about the Mexican border. But our immigration laws aren't about Mexico. And they're not just about Latinos. They're about human beings who are not citizens of the United States. The legal term for a non-citizen present in the country is alien. It's very simple. It's not an insult. It's a statement of fact. It's a statement of reality. But for con artists, Statements of truth and fact get in the way of the narrative they try to create so they can swindle their victims. The con artists and grifters who have entered the political realm, most of them are people that I would not want to have dinner with, let alone have to deal with, but we have to deal with them because they're swindling us out of our lives, our livelihoods. They're taking the American dream from our children and our grandchildren, and we the people have been really dopey employers. These people work for us. They've been insubordinate. They've been insubordinate because we've allowed them to be insubordinate. We don't get involved in the process. We don't get our voices heard when we should be. We act complacent and compliant. And today we're being taught to be complacent and compliant, which is why I think there's this emphasis of toxifying, if you want to use that word, um, anybody who demonstrates masculinity. And, And this isn't an attack on women either. But when you think about the rugged individual man, my dad was one of those. He was a construction worker. Whenever there was a problem and my pop showed up, uh, I felt as though cavalry had arrived. You know, uh, He was all but wearing a red cape. He knew what to do and how to do it. And when he showed up, you had this great sense of relief that everything was going to be under control in short order. That was my dad, and that was the greatest generation, and look where we've gone from there. We've been taught that children aren't supposed to stand up to the bullies but run for help. How do you run for help when you're an adult, you see? So we we have created, and I hate school bullies. I was beat up all the time as a kid because I was an egghead. Today they use the term nerd. I was a science guy. I never thought that athletes were heroes, my favorite heroic My favorite oxymoron is heroic play. How the hell can you be a hero when you're playing? My heroes were astronauts and test pilots, and I'll put Alan Shepard, Gus Grissom, Jim Lovell, 
and Chuck Yeager up against Mickey Mantle, Roger Maris, and all those other players any day of the week and twice on Sunday. There's nothing wrong with, with recreation. There's nothing wrong with going to ball games. But goodness, they're not heroes. Uh, I have a friend who served in special forces, and he had a great line. You might want to borrow or steal it. But he talked about football uniforms, and he said they're not uniforms, they're costumes. He said if you're a man or a woman and you're an adult and you want to wear a uniform, you have two ways of doing it. Join the military or become a police officer. Then you wear a uniform. He said if you're out there playing ball, you're playing, and that's not a uniform, it's a costume. And uh, that thought has stayed with me forever. Indeed, it is a costume. And because we have taught Americans to back down, to not make waves, to be politically correct, which has nothing at all to do with political correctness. This is Orwellian control of thought through control of language. We have allowed our country to slowly be pried away from us. We've been put into a situation that leaves us at great risk. We have record levels of homelessness. We have record levels of Americans who've lost their homes to foreclosure because of the shenanigans of the banks back in 2008, led, of course, by Alan Greenspan. And then Schumer brings in Greenspan a year after that debacle to look for Greenspan's wisdom on trying to pass comprehensive immigration reform, a piece of legislative detritus that years ago, 2006, I believe it was, I referred to it in a hop-ed that I did for the Washington Times by calling comprehensive immigration reform the Terrorist Assistance and Facilitation Act. Uh, I was on a radio program earlier today. Uh, Bobby Gunther Walsh, who has this great program on WAEB in Pennsylvania, and I'm a regular on the show. Uh, Generally, I'm on twice a month, sometimes more. This month, it'll be three times. And he was playing a montage of Schumer statements. And it started out with Chuck Schumer saying that with open borders, we are at risk from criminals and terrorists and drugs. With open borders, we can't protect the jobs or the wages of American workers. He went on and on and on about open borders and how dangerous and how we've got to do everything in our power to secure the borders to protect America and Americans. These were speeches I would have been comfortable making. And now we've got Schumer and Pelosi standing there and saying, no wall saying we're going to put up drones because we want border security. There have been so many studies done that show the drones don't do anything. In fact, the GAO and other uh, studies that were done, the General Accountability Office, said that drones have been involved in fewer than one-half of 1% of all Border Patrol arrests, virtually nothing. And yet they cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. Actually, helicopters with agents on board are a lot cheaper and a lot more effective. And if you're an agent on the ground, think about this, and you're being attacked, do you want to look up and see a drone taking pictures of you being attacked? Or do you want to look up and see a helicopter with your buddies in it who can land and back you up and help to protect you and arrest the thugs that are throwing rocks at you or whatever they're doing? See, drones can't make arrests. Drones are a way of spending a lot of money on military contractors and spending money on people that maybe contributed to your campaign. God only knows because so many companies are involved with various drones and so forth. But I can tell you that the Predator drone, for one, from what I was told by a Border Patrol pilot, requires well over a dozen people to operate and costs the same as four helicopters with agents on board. Why would you do it? You do it if you want to spend money to create the illusion that you're securing the border when you don't really want to secure the border. That's the whole point of the exercise. That's the objective, to create illusions that don't match reality. That's why I wrote a major piece, and I'd love for you to check it out. Um, I did it for, for the social contract, and I called it Sanctuary Country Immigration Failures by Design. Because we could secure the border. We can enforce the immigration laws. We could greatly cut down on illegal immigration. We're not doing it because the powers that be don't want it done. And then when I was on um, Breitbart Radio last week, I made the point that immigration isn't broken. It's a delivery system. And it's the most efficient delivery system this side of FedEx and UPS. 
It delivers an unlimited supply of cheap, exploitable foreign labor and foreign tourists and foreign students. And for the immigration attorneys out there, many of whom are members of Congress, or many members of Congress are lawyers anyway, an unlimited supply of clientele for law firms. That's why the punchline is always, we can't support them all, so we should give them lawful status. And then we have the bait-and-switch game. Do we give them a path to citizenship? That's what the Democrats want, because the Democrats know that traditionally the immigrants tend to vote for the Democratic Party. Or do we give them only a pathway to, to lawful work status? Well, that's what the Republicans want, because they want to be able to exploit cheap labor, but they don't want them voting. Everybody wants their cake and eat it, too. And in reality, and I think I mentioned this last week, and I've certainly mentioned it on programs that I've appeared on this past week, there's been a bunch of them, everyone keeps saying, well, the Democrats want to import the voters. That's why they want all these immigrants. Yes, that's right. It's likely that if these folks vote, and I suspect there's illegal voting going on that I knew of investigations into illegal voting, by the way, when I was an agent. So when people roll their eyes and say it doesn't happen, I assure you it happens. I don't know to what extent, but it has happened, it does happen, it will happen. But there's another mechanism in place that nobody thinks about. If you bring in workers from third world countries, they bring with them, in their suitcases or their backpacks, third world expectations of wages and working conditions. And what does that mean? It means that an illegal alien worker will gladly work for a fraction of the wage that an American would expect. And by the way, we're doing the same thing with the high-tech visas also. The H-1B visas, those high-tech workers are making less than their American counterparts. And as you destroy the wage structure for Americans, especially the middle class, you push them to the left. If you can't pay to put the lights on in your house, how happy are you when the Democrats offer to subsidize your housing, offer to subsidize your food, offer to subsidize transportation to work, whatever. They're offering you financial incentives to vote for them. And the Republicans don't. So if for you, renting a movie on, on, on Netflix or putting on the lights at night in your house is a luxury, and you're that desperate, you're going to vote for anybody who offers to promise to give you some kind of financial assistance and invariably, folks, it's the Democrats. The Republicans say to you, shame on you, and the Democrats say, we're going to help you. Yeah, it's like going to Tony Soprano for, for protection against his own thugs that are breaking your windows. Both parties have done this, by the way. They want the cheap labor because they're getting the campaign contributions, which are nothing more than bribes, whether it's from the Chamber of Commerce, I call it the Chamber of Horrors, or a host of other special interest groups, contributors, organizations, and so forth. Everyone, literally and figuratively, are making out like bandits, except for Americans. We're getting shafted. Lives are being lost. Wages are being um, downgraded. Jobs are being taken away. <clears throat> we have a problem with public health. Diseases suddenly showing up that we hadn't seen before or that we thought we had vanquished. Why do you think that is? There have been articles written about people who don't want their children vaccinated because of fears of autism and other issues and how this is creating a problem and epidemics and diseases and so forth. And that is a problem, I guess. But think of how many aliens have come here illegally have never seen a doctor, never been vaccinated. They're bringing with them diseases. This isn't xenophobia. It's just reality. Ellis Island that we hear so much about. Governor Cuomo went to Ellis Island to be sworn in for the third time as governor of New York State. Don't tell me New Yorkers are smart. But anyway, uh, third time, where does he get sworn in? Ellis Island. Why? The imagery. We're a nation of immigrants. Yes, and Ellis Island is a quarantine station that split up families. If they reopened Ellis Island, Big Mouth Cuomo would be the first guy jumping up and down and screaming that they've got to sue them and they've got to shut it down. But the imagery of Ellis Island, we're a nation of immigrants. Yes, we are, Governor but we're not a nation of trespassers, you see. But this is the mythology. This is the myth. This is the, the narrative that's been carefully created. And what most people don't know, especially those who are opposing Donald Trump, because if Donald Trump does anything, it's got to be wrong. I don't think that Donald Trump is, you know, 100%. Any, I don't think anybody's 100%, okay? 
but I agree with him completely on immigration policies. I, I agree with the fact that he's not a globalist. And all the other nitwits that are running around attacking him attack him because they are globalists. They attack him because they are beholden to the people who write the check. You know, the old question, is the pen mightier than the sword? Well, the check, the, the, the pen is certainly mightier when the check is hovering over a fat checkbook that's then used to bribe campaign, uh, the campaigns of, of, of politicians running for office. Let's be blunt. Campaign contributions are bribes. I don't care how you slice it. I don't care how you want to describe it. If someone makes a check out, they're expecting something in exchange, especially when it's the check that comes from a special interest group uh, or a particular organization. They're looking for access. And in the end, they're looking for laws and regulations that will favor whatever it is they want. So they have deep pockets. They get what they want. They're happy. We're not, and we're in trouble. And so as we keep pushing Americans into poverty, we're pushing Americans to the left, to the Democratic Party. And so now you've got Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi. We're not going to give you a border wall. We don't need no stinking wall. And you hear the idiots out there saying, well, if you put up a 20-foot wall, they'll come with 20-foot ladders. Ha, ha, ha. Yes, and they'll tunnel under them. Ha, ha, ha. You're right, they will. And people will still somehow manage to climb, and people will get hang gliders, no float over it, you know, even if it's a 50-foot wall, they'll find a way. Or they'll stow away on ships. Or they'll find a way to get to Canada and run the Canadian border. Will it happen? Absolutely. But you see, this isn't an all-or-nothing proposition. If you want to stop speeders, you put cops out there with, with police cars and radar guns. By the way, you can get a radar detector, which enables the motorist to slow down when radar is being used so they don't get stopped for speeding, would anybody ever suggest let's make radar guns illegal or, or not pay for them because someone finds a way around them? No. Security is done in layers. The point to the wall, and by the way, the other point to the wall is to stop people from entering the United States. And you're probably saying, what is he talking about? The border wall is not, is not designed to stop people from entering the United States at ports of entry. The whole point of the border wall is to funnel all traffic through a port of entry where the aliens can be inspected, cargo can be inspected, so we can make certain that guns and contraband and drugs and so forth isn't being smuggled into the United States. That's the point of the exercise, not to cut off America from Central America and Mexico. We're not barricading America against the rest of the world. You would think that's the case when Nancy Pelosi jumps up and says, oh, border wall's immoral. Really? It's immoral to prevent tens of thousands of people from dying of drug overdoses or thousands of people from getting killed by gang members and drunk drivers who shouldn't be here? Is that immoral? It's immoral to protect the wages and jobs of Americans and lawful immigrants? Immoral? Really? But... I think that there are actually people out there who think that a border wall would seal off the United States from Mexico, and nothing could be further from the truth. And then we hear how Donald Trump hates immigrants. Well, you know, under his administration, we're still admitting roughly a million lawful That hasn't changed. But the narrative created by the media and the narrative created by the Democrats has changed how people see issues. I gave an interview to One American News um, couple days ago. In fact, the link is up if you go to the uh, page for my blog talk radio program. You can see the description that I provide or the link to my interview. Now, what was interesting was they had sent an Uber to pick me up so I could go into their studios in Manhattan and tape the interview. And as luck would have it, I had this Russian young man tell me this was his first week driving Uber and he hated it and he was going to have to find something else. And we got into a discussion about Donald Trump And from Donald Trump, the conversation kind of swung into immigration. I mean, you really can't talk about Donald Trump without talking about immigration, right? And this Russian young man told me that he's been in the United States with his wife for about three years, claims he came legally. But he said to me, you know what? All of my friends, and he said, I have so many friends. I'm blessed. I have lots and lots and lots of Russian friends. Every one of my friends is here illegally. I said, that's pretty startling. 
He said, but it's okay because we're protected by the Constitution. I said, what Constitution is that? Well, if you listen to the governor, if you listen to the mayor, they're going to protect the immigrants against immigration. And it's outrageous that this president wants to deport immigrants. I said, nobody wants to deport immigrants. What he's looking to do is get rid of people who come illegally. But people have the right to come here if they want to come here. Who is the president to tell people they can't come in? I said, if you look at the immigration laws, when you got a visa, presuming you did, that's how I explained it to him, you get a visa for a purpose. We have to be able to screen you and make a record of your entry and so forth. He said, yeah, it's all silly. I said, that's silly? He said, yes. I said, how is it silly? He said, I, anyone who's ever been deported. And I listened to the speeches, and I listened to the governor of California, and I listened to all these politicians, and they talk about protecting the immigrants because the immigrants are the priority, and that's why all of my friends are coming, and more keep coming because as they talk to their friends and they find out that it's okay here and they don't have to worry about immigration, they're on their way. They're coming. He said, who knows by next year how many more are going to be here, and I'm going to be happy to see them all. You could imagine how thrilled I was. But what this young man who was driving that Uber said matched what I had said when I testified before the Senate Judiciary Committee. And I said that what we were doing had fired the starter's pistol for aspiring illegal aliens from all over the world. And for these folks, the finish line is the border of the United States. Because once they're inside the United States, there's almost no ICE agents. We have six thousand ICE agents and half of them aren't even doing immigration work. We're down to 3,000 agents. On New Year's Eve, more than 6,000 New York City police officers protected Times Square. 6,000. That means that more than twice as many cops protected Times Square on New Year's Eve than we have immigration agents enforcing the immigration laws for the entire United States of America, all 50 states and all possessions. That's insane. And the Republicans say, we're strong on immigration. We're going to pass new laws. What new laws? You can't enforce the laws that are on the books now. This is the game that's played. This is like the wrestlers I watched when I was a kid. You thought they were killing each other, and they were actually smearing ketchup on each other. But on my parents' black and white doom on TV when I was nine years old, it looked as though it was blood pouring out of their heads. This is madness, folks. We have lost control of our borders. We've lost control of our Congress. We've lost control of city halls around the country. The politicians are working against us. The politicians are trying to cost you your jobs and your wages. This exercise is about flooding America with exploitable foreign labor because foreign workers from third world countries have third world expectations of wages and working conditions and never for a moment forget that there's always room for more oarsmen on a slave ship. The United States is becoming that slave ship, employing cheap labor that can be easily exploited, easily intimidated, easily fired, and when you add to the mix Artificial intelligence and automation and robotics, jobs are going away. Menial jobs are disappearing. We're spending more and more money on English as a second language, less money on American children who have learning disabilities and special needs. And that's outrageous. That's outrageous. Why in the world does it make sense to anybody that it's great to be compassionate when it costs innocent lives, when it costs children, educational services they desperately need, because this is their future we're talking about, when it results in drugs pouring into the country and gang members pouring into the country. And there's Chuck Schumer saying there's no crisis. It's a make-believe crisis because Donald Trump had a temper tantrum. Donald Trump threw a temper tantrum. Chuck, you're throwing the American people under the bus. You and Nancy. You and Nancy are throwing Americans under the bus. I want to read something to you, and I hope that uh, after you listen to my program, you'll go and check out my articles at, uh, at um, Front Page Magazine. But there was an article that I just posted. Let me bring it up. So the article that I wrote, Congress earns the Nero Award for fiddling while America is invaded. 
And then the subtitle, Why the Democrats' Actions Are Especially Egregious. And there's a trial going on in Brooklyn. You don't hear much about it in the media, which I find remarkable, perhaps because they want people to forget how much of a danger the Mexican border creates for us. But the trial that's going on in Brooklyn in the federal courthouse in what's known as the Eastern District of New York, I actually brought a terrorist case there where I arrested a suspected IRA terrorist. They took a gun off this character. I was involved with prosecutions in both the Southern District of Manhattan and the Eastern District in Brooklyn of the federal court system of the U.S. Attorney's Office. But this trial for Joaquin El Chapo Guzman is noteworthy. Allegedly, El Chapo, as he's known, is the ringleader of the Sinaloa drug cartel. Allegedly, that cartel has moved, I believe the number was 200 tons of cocaine into the United States across the Mexican border. It's moved heroin and opiates. It's moved marijuana across the U.S.-Mexican border into the United States. So the obvious question is, if they were moving drugs into the, the United States through the Mexican border, how does this guy wind up on trial in Brooklyn, New York? Well, the reason he came to be on trial in Brooklyn, New York, is because he created in New York City, allegedly, I keep saying allegedly, he allegedly turned New York into the hub for his drug operations because of its location. New York is a a border state. We have international airports and seaports, and we we have a, a connection to the Canadian border. But New York, most principally, and we have a subway system and everything else going on, but New York is also a sanctuary city. Because otherwise, it would make no sense to make New York the hub for a drug gang, because we have more police officers in New York City than any other, any other city in the country. New York City has over, I believe the number now is 38,000 police officers. It's the most sophisticated department with the best equipment, the best training. In point of fact, the New York City Police Department is, is more like a small army rather than a police department. So if you're running drugs, you would think New York would be the last place you'd want to go. However... New York is a sanctuary city. Again, an example of how the politicians can care less about people who die. Anybody who dies, collateral damage, people got to die sometime, and what the hell, drumming up business for the funeral home industry, I'm sure that makes the U.S. Chamber of Horrors, I mean the U.S. Chamber of Commerce happy, because business is business, and we've all been told that the business of America is business. That's not what the founding fathers said, by the way. We the people, not we the corporations. We the people. So we have this trial ongoing just a couple of miles from where Chuck Schumer lives. Hey, Chuck, if you're listening, why don't you pop into the courthouse, you know? You're a senator. I bet you they give you a ringside seat if you show up. I want to read a piece of an article that appeared about this, and this is truly remarkable. Um, (laughs) This is really pretty astonishing The article was published by the BBC And the title Joaquin El Chapo Guzman's Trial Nine Crazy Moments How's that for a title For an account of a drug trial Nine Crazy Moments So this is one of nine If you go to my article You can click on the link and read the other eight I'm not even sure which is the craziest. I mean, this is like the Twilight Zone. But this is really specifically and especially significant given the debate about the border wall that we don't need, according to Chuck and Nancy. The article or this paragraph, this section, starts out with the high-tech murder room. How's that for a catchy title? The high-tech murder room. Now, here we go. Let me read this to you. This is, again, from that article in the BBC. It was published uh, on January 10th, uh, not even uh, two weeks ago. A trusted hitman for El Chapo kept a, quote, murder room in his mansion on the U.S. border, featured a drain on the floor to more easily clean up after slayings. Edgar Galvan testified in January that Antonio Jaguar Marufo had a room with white tiles 
that was soundproof so that, quote, no noise comes out. And then the quote is, in that house, no one comes out, Galvan told the jurors. Galvan said that his role in the organization, (coughs) pardon me, was to smuggle weapons into the United States so that Marufo could use them to clear the region of of rivals. At the time, he said he was living in El Paso, Texas, while Marufo was living in Ciudad Juarez, just across the U.S.-Mexico border. Both men are now in jail on firearms and gun charges. Think about that, folks. Think about that statement. So you've got this guy, Galvan, talking about how there's two houses on either side of that border. And by the way, when I was working as an expert witness at a trial, I spent over a week in, um, um, goodness gracious, in, uh, in El Paso, Texas. Senior moments are wonderful, aren't they? So there I was in El Paso, Texas, on the top floor of this beautiful hotel. My windows faced south so I could see the Mexican border less, a mile, less than a mile from my room. And every night you could see the police cars whipping back and forth in Mexico, presumably, I guess, going from one murder scene to the other. You could hear the sirens wailing all night. This is on the Mexican border. So they're moving drugs into the United States. They're moving guns into the United States. They're moving money out of the country. They're moving people into the United States. But, of course, there's nothing to see here, folks. A couple of weeks ago I wrote an article about how an expert on uh, Iran and Hezbollah and terrorism testified before a Homeland Security Intelligence and Counterterrorism Committee hearing about how Hezbollah is now working in close coordination with human traffickers, drug traffickers, to move drugs and people into the United States, including sleeper agents from Iran. But there's nothing to see here, folks. There's nothing wrong here. This is not a crisis. It's nothing. It's Donald Trump having a temper tantrum. Why in the world are there hearings? Ask yourself that question. Why do we have hearings? If, in point of fact, no one seems to be listening to what's being said at the hearings. They need listenings. We have expert after expert talking about the dangers that we face. And why do we face those dangers? We face the dangers because we have drugs pouring into the United States. We have terrorists pouring into the United States. But yet, when, when Chuck Schumer gets up there, and what does he talk about? Oh, there's nothing to see here, folks. Everything is under control. Everything is just peachy keen, and uh, there's no reason for anyone to be alarmed. We don't need a wall. We'll put up thrones. So let me make another analogy that I've written about. Even if you believe drones work, and they don't work, we do need the sensors on the ground. They can be helpful. But these are burglar alarms. That's what they really are. Because when the alarm goes off, where is the alien? The alien is now inside the United States. Now it takes the Border Patrol to respond to that signal to arrest the alien if they can find him and if they can get to him in time and if they even have the resources to make that arrest. This is a burglar alarm. So imagine you're living in a house, your burglar alarm goes off, you're in a big town, there's only two cops for the whole town, and as luck would happen, there was a homicide, two car accidents, and, and, and a rape, and, and, and your alarm goes off, how quickly do you think the cops are going to get there? Maybe not that quickly. Maybe the burglar's going to make off with all of your possessions and disappear into the night, and if you're lucky, eight months from now, the cops may find the guy after he sold all the stuff that he stole from your house. Not a very good situation. So people who put burglar alarms in their homes tend to do something else. You know what the something else is? They put doors on their houses that are tough to break in. They put strong locks on the doors so that it's not easy for a burglar to defeat the lock. Now, look, every lock has something that locksmiths call a defeat time, how long a a good locksmith or a lockpick can defeat the lock. So if you go into a bank vault with all the gears, you know, they're they're impressive, some of these things. Wow, I mean, they're they're a work of art. I was going to be a mechanical engineer. I have two boys who are mechanical engineers. This looks like a mechanical engineer's dream. 
all the gears and everything behind this beautiful glass panel, and they spin this wheel. It looks almost like the wheel you would find on a ship, and the door locks. And that might have a defeat time of, I don't know, 18 hours, which means engineers who are used to working with locks might need 18 hours to open up that lock, but they can do it eventually. A locker that you have where you put your stuff when you go to the gym to work out, you put one of those little padlocks on that, those things usually have a defeat time of 30 seconds, one extreme to the other. Houses, similarly, maybe it's a half hour, maybe it's an hour. So it depends on how good the lock is. But if you're really concerned about someone breaking into your house, you're going to put good, strong locks on your door. You're not going to have a plywood door, but a good, solid steel, solid core door with reinforced hinges. And when you go to the bad neighborhood, what do you find on the doors and windows of houses? Even if you're not from the neighborhood, you know when you're in a high-crime neighborhood. How do you know? Because people put bars on their windows. It looks like they're living in a prison. There are some neighborhoods where people have bars on their front porch. So to get onto the front porch, you have to go through a locked door, and there's bars to keep you off the porch. The only way in is by going through a locked door. And then you first have to deal with the door to get you into the house. Why do they do it? High-crime neighborhood. And how do they keep people from breaking in? They put strong locks and strong doors in the path of anybody who would break into their house. Our country has no door. No locks, no doors. Hop in, you're here, and once you're here, and once the Border Patrol, if they arrest you and you're an illegal alien, you still have a plan B. What's plan B? Well, as soon as the Border Patrol agents arrest you, you yell out two words. Two words. Political asylum. Once those magic words come out of your mouth, the game changes. and Everyone knows how to say it. Political asylum. You say it, and now suddenly everything stops. And now you got to go to a judge. And a judge may not be able to see you for God knows how long. And they can hold on to you for so long, but they got to release you. And, we, and we've seen all this. And we've seen all this. Overwhelming the system. Donald Trump tried to stop this with a zero-tolerance policy that lasted until the jails were full. And we couldn't hold on to anybody anymore. And there went zero. And that's why Chuck wants drones, and that's why Chuck and Nancy want sensors on the ground on this side of the book. Let them get here. Are you crazy? Let them get here. Because once they get here, guess what? They yell political asylum and immigration lawyers will be in heaven. They'll have more clients than they can handle. That's what the name of this game is. This isn't about stopping illegals from entering the United States. It's about making certain that we get to sign them up with immigration law firms, that we get them to stay here, that we overwhelm the system. And the more that come, the more we say, well, there's so many, we can't support them all. Let's legalize them. So we come back again to, to this nonsense being foisted on us by the Democrat and Republican parties. Ladies and gentlemen, the trick is to keep the illegal aliens out of the United States first place. Proactive, not reactive. Proactive, not reactive. You don't spend a fortune on a sophisticated alarm system for your house and have a house without doors or windows. If you give people the way to climb in through your doors and windows, what's the point to the alarm system? It's a joke. It's a sick, twisted joke because people are dying. It doesn't get worse than that. People are dying. Two children died who were in ICE custody. And it's a tragedy. It's absolutely a tragedy. And we're being angry with the wrong people. Americans are angry with the illegal aliens. I'm not so much angry at the illegals. Really. If you're living in poverty and you know you can come to the United States and get a job and send more money home than you can dream of earning in your home country, let me ask you a question. Let's say for argument's sake, you have a job and your job pays you $80,000 a year in the United States. And let's say you found out that Canada hires people to do the same work, but they pay $800,000. You're making $80,000 here. Well, you can go to Canada and make $800,000. You're not supposed to do it. But the Canadians won't do anything if you try to take those jobs. 
And mayors in, in, in Canadian cities would say, oh, we'd love for you to come and work. We just love Americans. Come and work. Well, we're even willing to, to, to allow companies to get rid of Canadians because we love Americans. And, and by the way, um, the Canadian workers would probably make a uh, million dollars for that job. You'll only need 800000 so you can save all those companies lots of money, so we're happy with you. Well, you're not thinking about the fact that a Canadian was making a million. You're thinking about the fact you're making 10 times more than you used to make back home, and you could send the money back home. Would you or would you not do it? Be honest with yourself. Be honest with everybody else out there. If you're having a conversation, think about it. Imagine 80000 in America, 800000 in Canada. And they, they, they kind of entice you. They make it clear. Once you get here, we'll protect you from the evil Royal Canadian Mounted Police and, and the immigration authorities. Because we really love to have you work for us. Because you'll work for less than a Canadian, but for you it's a lot of money. So that's okay. Just like the guy who said to me, I pay Mexicans $8 an hour, but for a Mexican it's good money. Could there be anything more disgusting than a statement like that? So who do we blame? The alien who can't feed himself and his family in his home country, who's desperate? Now, of course, the criminals that come in are a problem. And, of course, we can't decide who the criminal is from the guy who isn't because they embed themselves. And I've arrested many illegal aliens who are wanted for murder and rape and bank robbery and drugs and guns, and they're working ordinary jobs. That's how you hide in plain sight. So, yes, I, I don't want these people running the border, and I have no trouble arresting people who come illegally. I, I arrested thousands of people in my 30-year career, and I'm very proud of what I did as an agent. But the point that I'm making was it's not about being angry at the alien who comes to work and send money home. Be angry at the politicians who encourage this, who facilitate it. Be angry at the damn judges who come up with rulings that leave you with your head spinning. Because... They are establishing the circumstances that encourage the illegal activities that are costing American workers their jobs, and in some cases, their lives, because this then creates such a huge haystack in which these deadly needles hide. Two kids were died in custody. It's awful. But they were obviously sick when they came here. And so the media wouldn't let go of the two who died. They ignore the thousands who die every year because of illegal aliens who are involved in crime or drunk driving or the drugs that flow freely across our borders. That gets very little, if any, notice by anybody. But two children die because they came to America sick. God knows if they had contagious diseases. God knows. But no one is asking that question either. No one is saying, gee whiz, did they have a dangerous communicable disease that might spread through the United States and kill more children. No one cares. American kids are, expo- are disposable, just like American workers. We're the disposables. We're, we're, you know, who needs them? Heck with them. We can bring in foreign workers who work for less money. You see? Your anger, if you're angry at the illegal, could be better spent by being angry at the people that encourage them and make it all possible for them. The politicians the mayors of sanctuary cities, the governors of sanctuary states, Nancy and Chuck, who don't want border walls. And by the way, what great wonders were done by the Republican Party when they controlled the House of Representatives? You think Paul Ryan really wants the border secure? Do you really think so? Do you think John Boehner really wanted the border secure? Do you really think that that's what they want? You have immigration lawyers on both sides of the aisle. Bob Goodlatte is an immigration lawyer. He's back, I'm sure, to practicing immigration law. But he's a Republican, and he was chairman of the House Judiciary Committee. He kept wanting more H-1B visas. Why? Because his son, Bobby Goodlatte, is a computer executive who got a start with Zuckerberg over at Facebook and loves Indian programmers over Americans. I assure you of that. Because Indians are cheaper. Indians are cheaper. We know the price of everything and the value of nothing. So people get angry at you. Oh, my God, that guy ran the border. He shouldn't have done it. He broke the law and let law enforcement deal with him. Or maybe let's not let immigration enforcement deal with him. Why do I say that? Well, I was sent an article, again, by Bobby Gunther Walsh, and, and, and he was really torqued. 
but so was I when I read the article. And this article was in the Conservative Review, written by Daniel Horowitz, January 17th, hot off the presses, folks, just yesterday. Here's the headline. Wait, hold on, wait for this one. I, I guarantee you, if you take high blood pressure medicine, take your pill now, because it's about to get worse. Judge creates right for illegal alien to block deportation so she can sue law enforcement. That's not a misprint. That's not a misprint. An illegal alien from El Salvador by the name of Roxana Oriano Santos came to the United States in 2005 illegally. And she was detained by the Border Patrol and then failed to appear for a hearing in 2007. And the judge issued what's known as an in absentia ordered her deported. So it's absolutely amazing. So I'm reading from the article now. A year into her fugitive life, Frederick, that's Frederick, Virginia, cops informally questioned her outside a restaurant on October 7, 2008, after they thought she was running away from them. Upon receiving information from ICE through dispatch that she was here illegally and then acting on an outstanding immigration warrant from ICE, this wasn't the detainer. You know, we're always told, get a warrant. She had a warrant, a warrant of deportation, okay? She had an immigration warrant from ICE. Frederick Sheriff's deputies arrested Santos as part of their lawful cooperation with the federal government to help apprehend illegal aliens through the 287G program under Title VIII, United States Code Section 1357G. And this is part of the law that the Senate passed unanimously in 1996. These are laws that were passed by the Senate, you know, the place where Chuck hangs his hat, the Senate, you remember that body, the legislative body? Well, here's Schumer, you know, think where he is on the issues. So now, Fredericks is one of the few jurisdictions in Maryland that participates in the program, and they go on and on and on. And then uh, what he writes is this, in the same country, this would have been the end of the story. Santos should have been deported, pursuant to every statute on the books, but Santos, backed up by an army of lawyers, from the organization Casa de Maryland sued the Frederick Sheriff for what she felt was an illegal search and seizure and the county commissioners for agreeing to cooperate under 287G. After endless motions while she remained in the country, the district court rebuffed her claim in 2012, but the arch-liberal Fourth Circuit sided with her a year later. The court created a new right for illegals not to be apprehended by local law enforcement because of their immigration status. Last September, District Judge Catherine Blake ruled that Sheriff Jenkins could be held liable in a civil suit for the acts of his deputies. This allows Santos to proceed with a suit for civil damages. Her attorneys are seeking to milk this small county for $1 million in damages. And then he says, None of us can sue her for sucking up our resources. Understand the issue. The police acted lawfully. They didn't make a mistake. They checked with ICE. Her behavior was suspicious. They did what you're supposed to do. That's how law enforcement works. Probable cause. The person ran from me. There's something wrong if she's running. I stopped her. I asked immigration. They said she's got a warrant. We arrested her. We're now being told by the Fourth Circuit in, 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 the, um, state of, in, in the state of Virginia that it's illegal, that the police had no right to take any action in conjunction with the fact that there was an outstanding order of deportation on this woman. Furthermore, her husband is applying for political asylum. She has two United States children because they were born here, and on it goes. You want to talk about judicial overreach? That, folks, is judicial overreach. So when her friends in El Salvador or Guatemala or Mexico or whatever read the story, what do they say to themselves? Wow, if I can get on that caravan and if I can get to the United States and I can find some fancy highfalutin immigration lawyer and I can make sure that I go to the right district with the right judge, I can get to stay, not only stay in America, but if they screw with me, I can sue them and make millions of dollars by suing the, the, the people that would dare interfere with me. 
What's next? Are they going to sue the sheriffs personally? God knows. Maybe that's coming next. So understand what's really happening. The government on all levels is laying out the welcome mat and telling people, come to America, do what you want to do. If anyone interferes, you can sue them. You can take them to the cleaners. You can bankrupt their town. So no one's going to mess with you. You're better than an American citizen. Americans can't sue if a police officer arrests them, but you can because they're picking on you. And they're picking on you because you came to America and you have every right to come here, just like that guy that drove me in the Uber told me. We can do anything we want because the mayor is on our side. The governor is on our side. Nobody ever gets deported. And I said, but immigration is part of the U.S. government. He said, that doesn't sound right. Then why is the mayor and governor saying that you guys are the bad guys? See, that's where we are today. How did we get here? Well, years and years and years of abject neglect by we the people. And where is this taking us? God only knows. But I will tell you that if we don't wake up and smell the coffee and start to act responsibly like adults and start holding people accountable when they do this, this country's history. And if you lose the country waiting in the wings, Russia, China, Iran, China is determined that by the year 2025, that's just seven, six years away, folks, they want to be the dominant power in the world through high-tech industries. And who trained their engineers and their programmers and their scientists? Uncle Saps did. We did. We did. Donald Trump is reining them in. I wrote about it for front page. And what do you hear from Wall Street? Well, because of the Trump administration's actions on tariffs and restrictions on Chinese students, profits are down. This is not good. We have to get profits up. If all you're motivated by is your earning statement for the next quarter, you're going to make very bad decisions to save to make that extra money now and ignoring the path that's taking your country down in the next two, three, four, five, or six years. We have a country that knows the price of everything and the value of nothing. We're the country that is willing to accept the death of innocent people so that corporations can make more monies, immigration lawyers can have more clients, the Chamber of Commerce can get what they want, which is an endless, unlimited supply of tourists and more cheap workers and so forth. And where are the American people in all this? Well, we're nowhere. We're nowhere. We are insignificant. We are bumps in the road. We are bumps in the road. Because the goal here is globalism. So we can move workers around the world like chess pieces on a big chessboard. And if people get involved with drugs, if gangs kill children, it's okay. Because the very wealthy, you know, the folks that fly around the world in their own private airliners and have 15 mansions and have yachts that are the size of ocean liners, because they need more money. They, 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 they just need that extra airliner. They need another mansion. That boat is kind of old. They've had it for five years. They need a new boat because it's a thrill when they get their new boat. It's a thrill to have more power. And and that's what we're seeing. America is now being ruled by an oligarchy. There was uh, an economics professor in Princeton who wrote an article nearly a decade ago where he predicted that America was going from a republic to an oligarchy. And he was right. Bill Gates gets his way. Zuckerberg gets his way. The banks get their way. There was a couple of articles all written with the same title, Too Big to Jail. And what was it about? How various banks like HSBC had laundered tens of billions of dollars in drug money. They paid a fine of a few billion dollars. They just happened to have the cash lying around somewhere in a desk drawer, perhaps billions. And nobody went to jail. Too big to jail. So the banks love the drug trade because they move the money. They're a moving company. They get money from moving money. And while it's in their custody, they get to lend it out where they could charge interest for it. So they're rolling in dough. They're rolling in dough. And people are dying, and nobody gives a rat's tail. Nobody. And Donald Trump is getting hammered principally, principally, because he's not a globalist. 
And he's not playing by the same rules that both the Democratic and Republican parties play by. Does that mean that I agree with everything Trump does and says? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. There are things about him that I disagree with. This is America. We're supposed to be able to do that. That's our right. But the anger, the animosity, the panic, the fervor that you're seeing isn't accidental. And it's not because Donald Trump isn't as polished as some other swindling politicians, or forgive the redundancy, swindling politicians. You know, politicians, it's implied they're swindlers. I mean, that's the name of the game. You don't win elections without being a swindler these days. Look at the campaign. It's not vote for me because I have better ideas. Vote for me because I'm not as sleazy as the guy I'm running against. That's all that these elections are about. I've never seen a bigger bunch of back, backbiting, parasitic uh, monsters than we have in politics for the most part. There's a couple of exceptions, but boy, oh boy, you have to look far and wide to find them. This isn't a bunch of people you want to spend much time with, trust me. I've been at congressional hearings, and I've walked out of those hearings thinking, my God, what I wouldn't give for a hot shower with a Brillo soap pad and some disinfected soap. This is a strange bunch of creatures, and it's not just in the United States. The political class is as slimy as it gets. They're about power and influence and egos and everything and anything but decency. Most of these characters are in politics for all the wrong reasons. And when people do go to politics for the right reasons, I assure you that the parties make certain that they are quashed. You know, you may wander the halls and tell people you're a congressman, but wait till you try to get a bill passed. Wait till you try to accomplish anything. We will block you. I will tell you that the Republicans and the Democrats alike would sooner see their candidate lose an election for office if their candidate isn't a globalist. And, and, and they would rather... The Republicans would rather a globalist Democrat win the election than a Republican candidate who believes in sovereign borders. And I saw that with Lou Barletta, one of many examples. The push for globalism is unbelievable. It's toxic. It's costing lives. And we, the people as Americans, have yet to really stand up to it. I don't know what we're waiting for. But we need to get our voices heard. The politicians need to come to an understanding that we're not the damn fools that they came to expect us to be. But then again, for how many years we've been acting like a bunch of damn fools. So, you know, ugly is as ugly does. We really need to get involved. Now, Donald Trump said that tomorrow he's going to have an announcement about the border. I don't know what it's going to be, but I'm going to be listening. I can assure you, you should be paying attention. If you're a parent, this is about the future of your children and your grandchildren. You can't be a good parent, I would argue, unless you're involved in politics, as distasteful as this whole business is. I was originally a science guy. I'm proud to have two sons who are engineers. I have four wonderful children. Science is my world. But I looked and saw what was going on in our government, and as an agent, I had a bird's eye view to the immigration crisis. And believe me, it's a crisis because it impacts almost every challenge and threat that we face. So we must get involved. And when you look at the nonsense about sanctuary cities and we're going to protect the immigrants, the only people being protected by sanctuary cities, and I've written about it, there's an article up again, front page Mac, please go there after you listen to my, my program, um, about, about how sanctuary cities put the immigrants at greatest risk. And I don't care what part of the world they're from, because this is about human nature, not about one race or one ethnicity or one nationality. This is universal. Innocent people are being put at risk by the globalists who are motivated by nothing more than greed. It's time that they heard from us. We the people need to get involved. Please remember, folks, democracy is not a spectator sport. It's vital that we get our voices heard. I want to thank you for having spent this hour with me. I hope you have a wonderful weekend coming up. And wherever you are, I hope the weather is cooperative. Um, probably not so much here in New York, but we'll get through it. We're tough in New York. But, again, I, I thank you for spending this time with me. And uh, I look forward to uh, seeing you again next time uh, right here on the Michael Cutler Hour. And uh, for now, so long, everybody. <laughs>